Welcome to Breaking Through. I'm Madeline Bell, President and CEO of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and I'm bringing you this podcast from the iHeart Breakthrough Radio Studios in Philadelphia. Children's Hospital of Philadelphia has had a long, successful track record separating conjoined twins. Since 1957, 23 sets of conjoined twins have been separated at CHOP. Today, we'll be talking about a case that was especially challenging, even for such an experienced team. Abby and Erin Delaney were born in CHOP's Garbos Family Special Delivery Unit on July 24, 2016. They were delivered in this unique unit because they had a very rare condition called craniopagus, which means they were connected at the top of their heads. A team of nearly 30 people separated Abby and Erin during an 11-hour surgery. Doctors Gregory Hoyer and Jesse Taylor led that incredible team, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to them today. Dr. Hoyer is an attending neurosurgeon at CHOP, and he specializes in surgery for brain and spine tumors, fetal surgery for spina bifida, and congenital spinal disorders. And Dr. Taylor is chief of the Division of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery and co-director of the Cleft Lip and Palate Program at CHOP. Can the two of you explain to our listeners why you need two surgeons who have different expertise for a surgery like this? One of the reasons we need not just two surgeons, but a whole team of doctors is the twins were connected not just by their brain or the blood vessels between them, but by all the soft tissues and the bones between them as well. It sounds simple that there's two twins conjoined at the head, but they really shared more than one tissue. And our approach to this, which might have been a little bit novel, was when we're doing that separation, if each of us could be involved in the steps that led up to the separation and the separation itself, that we probably could have a better outcome for the twins because each decision I made or Dr. Taylor made affected the other person's surgery as well. So we tried to do it as a team to make it a more thoughtful process. And I think, I think it helped. Dr. Hoyer, can you tell us how you first met the Delaney family? The Delaney's came to CHOP just shortly after they had found out they were pregnant. So they were recently married. They found out they were pregnant. Then they found out they were pregnant with twins. And then they were told something's wrong. And they came to CHOP because of our fetal center. They're able to sort of do more testing on the twins and find out what it meant for them. And we were trying to give them information as to what this meant and what the steps forward for the twins would be after they were born. Dr. Taylor, you're a plastic surgeon. So tell me what your role was specifically for this surgery, and have you ever done anything like this before? My role as a plastic surgeon is to help to reconstruct that which is missing in the twins. And as Dr. Hoyer mentioned, not only are the kids connected by the brains and the soft tissues covering the brains, but they're in fact missing various aspects of the top of their head. So they're missing the covering of the brain, the skull bone, and then the scalp tissues that are on top of the skull bone. And so when you're missing that much of the top of your head, you've got to figure out ways to make up for what's missing. And so Greg and I put our heads together, excuse the pun, to come up with a way to separate the twins and then reconstruct that which was missing using a combination of techniques. And what Greg mentioned as being somewhat novel is the use of distraction osteogenesis to partially pull apart the twins prior to separating them. In addition to gaining some really valuable real estate for us to use when separating the twins, that extra real estate enabled us to decrease by some amount 
the amount of tissue that we were missing that we would need to replace. We also used a couple other plastic surgery techniques to gain more scalp tissue, such as tissue expansion, which enabled us, it's essentially putting a fancy water balloon beneath the scalp. And as you blow up that water balloon slowly, you recruit hair-bearing skin, which is essentially missing at the top of each twin's heads. And so the combination of distraction osteogenesis to begin to pull the twins apart, and then the tissue expansion allowed us to essentially recruit missing tissues, which is kind of the job of the plastic surgeon in separating craniopagus twins. And have either of you ever done anything like this before, or has it been done successfully before this case? So we haven't done it before. The craniopagus twins are exceedingly rare. You're, we looked at some similar things here. You're, you're more likely to be hit by lightning than you are to have twins who are joined at the head. So it's a very, very unusual thing. Now, just like anything else in surgery, though, the components of the surgery, Dr. Taylor and I do regularly. And so we use those components that we already do, sometimes even together. We often do a lot of surgeries together um, to, to, le- to figure out the strategy for separating the twins and also um, utilizing those techniques so that we could kind of apply them to this clinical situation. You mentioned that you did a lot of work in advance of the surgery. Once they were born, how much time did it take before the actual surgery took place, the separation surgery? So the twins were born in July, and the first surgery we did on them was in October, so they were about three months old. And the reason to wait a little bit of time before doing surgery is to allow them to gain some weight, some heft, get a little bit of physiologic stamina reserve behind them before we do any surgery. And the first surgery, again, that we did was a somewhat smaller surgery to help us gain additional real estate in order to allow us to separate them a little more safely. The second surgery we did came several months after that first surgery, so now they're about six or seven months old. And that's when we put these specialized water balloons beneath the scalp. After doing that surgery, which is also somewhat of a smaller surgery, and again, speaking physiologically, smaller, less blood loss, less time in the operating room. Now the kids are nine or 10 months old at the time of separation, much bigger. They can withstand uh, the stressors of surgery, blood loss, et cetera. So, So it really is a staged separation that allowed us to achieve not only the success that we've had, but I think probably led to somewhat of the, the, the neurological outcome that we've had, which has been quite good. So let's take us into the actual operating room. So the, the children were born. They were there at CHOP for 10 months. You described lots of preparation. And I'm sure we've minimized that 10 months in just a few minutes. But tell us a little bit about what it was like to be in the operating room. How many people were in there? How long were you there? You know, what are the things that you were facing as you were actually in the operating room? So I'm not sure I know how many people were there. Uh, it was just, it had a very natural feel to it. We'd already been in the operating room with them a couple times before, and everyone had already met them and, and knew them and the family. It was nerve-wracking, though, because we knew that was going to be the day, and we were making some decisions that day about whether or not we were going to separate them on one side, then turn them over and separate the other side, and that all depended on how well the first surgery went. There was a whole team of doctors, two plastic surgeons, three neurosurgeons, my partners were there as well, to try to make it as safe as possible. 
two nurses for each of us were there um, who we work with every day and who are, were amazing, two anesthesiologists and their assistants, and multiple other people who just were like a regular day at shop. They came and, and, and got us things and got instruments ready for us and really had a, a very routine feel to it, although I think our hearts were beating a, a little bit faster. So the the first step was putting them to sleep, and we started separating them from the side that was a little safer. It didn't share as many blood vessels, and so we developed a plane between the two twins. And once that side went well, we then turned them in the operating room and did the more dangerous side of the operation. After they were separated, then Dr. Taylor, who had been there all day, came in to do some of the reconstruction. One of the important things about the reconstruction is this is where it really is important where we work together well. I was able to tell them that the brains were going to be very swollen after the surgery. And the anesthesiologist, we were able to tell, look, this is the point where we're going to lose blood. And we work with, with Allison Parade every day, so she knows what we mean when we say that. Once we were done, I told them that the brains were going to be swollen, and Dr. Taylor reconstructed things in a way to allow those brains to swell without causing damage. And so this integration of all the teams, the nursing, the, the other staff in the, in the operating room, the, the people planning the ORs that day, everything was seamless because it, it felt a lot like what we do on a lot of challenging cases. If I could pop in with one more word about preparation, because uh, something like this, not only does it take significant amount of expertise and people to do it, but in fact, we had done multiple dress rehearsals in the operating room with baby dolls, essentially, whose heads we had taped together. In going through the steps of the operation with the entire team present, I think we gained a familiarity with what each other was going to be doing on that critical day at those critical moments to allow us to do this more safely. Another, I think, key key part of our preparation was uh, using computer-aided design and computer-aided modeling to model the blood vessels that course throughout our scalps and throughout our, the covering of our brain and the dura mater to allow us to, um, to separate and to ligate the various structures safely ahead of time thinking about how we're going to do that most safely and securely. And so I think the combination of using some computer-aided design and modeling as well as doing those dress rehearsals allowed us to get ready for the big day. And uh, certainly, I, I personally felt a little more secure knowing we had gone through the uh, the preparation that we had gone through. One thing, though, is we, we talk about this now, and it sounds like a very organized, we knew exactly what every step was, and that's just not true. Oh, you guys fooled me. So <laughs> You rehearsed, you had 10 uh, months, you had this whole big team. It, well, it, it turn, sounded it, like poetry in motion to well, me. It turns out that the babies threw us some curveballs, one of those being... When the anesthesiologist gave blood to one of the <clears throat> twins, that twin was giving that blood to the other twin. And when they gave it to the other twin, she was greedy with her blood and didn't give it to the other twin. And medicines affected each of them differently. And how the brain reacted to how I manipulated it was unique. Um, it was within the normal variation that I'm, I'm used to seeing, but still we had to respond to that. So... The preparation Dr. Taylor just talked about pr- allowed us to have some freedom when we did get those curveballs. We had a, a good sound groundwork of what we thought we were going to do, and then we could react to, to things as we saw them. So that, 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 I think that's the important p- other part of it is that 
you know, we, we sound like we know exactly what we're doing and you never do with a surgery. You know what can go wrong and you try to avoid that. Well, I always ask people about a specific breakthrough moment. It sounds like there were many breakthrough moments, but for each of you, I'd like each of you to tell me if there was a particular moment in the lead up or in the actual surgery or even after the surgery that was kind of a, a real breakthrough moment for you or an aha. I mean, for me, the one was the most terrifying. That's the, there's a major blood vessel that you share and that they share in their brain where a quarter of your, or your heart's output goes through that. Uh, at, at one time. So that was the moment which was the most harrowing to separate that because you cannot separate that blood vessel without having some bleeding. And so that was the scary part. The The satisfying thing um, for me was that first time we had them asleep after the surgery for a little bit of time and then they woke up. But the really cool moment was walking into the ICU and seeing them looking at each other for the first time. They had never been able to look at each other. And the one twin looked mad at the other twin. <laughs> but I think that was the moment when I said, okay, we're heading towards a, a, a good direction. And, and, and you could see the relief on, on the mom's face as well. Um, Heather, was you could noticeably see the relief. Yeah, it's funny. When you practice medicine, there's so many technical aspects of what you do. And there is an intellectual component to practicing medicine. But for most of us that practice medicine, I think the most rewarding part is the humanistic part. And I would agree with Greg when you see the twins finally awake in the ICU after surgery, look at each other, and you see the look on the parents' faces. That's what brings us all to work every day. I think another breakthrough moment was when the kids were born and we looked at the configuration and we said, what are we, what are we going to do to really do this and how can we do it well? And if you look at the state of the art of the craniopagus twin separation literature, it's about a 40% chance of somebody dying. That's the bottom line, is there's about a 50-50 chance almost of some one of the two twins dying. And we said, you know, th it should be better than that. It, you know, here we are in 2016. It should be better than that. And we said, how do we think we could do this differently or better than anyone else could? And we, we put our heads together and we said, you know, no one's ever tried to start to pull the twins apart a little bit before doing invasive surgery. And we kind of, you know... We obviously, no one had ever tried this. There were parts of each of us that had our doubts, but I think having worked so closely together, we both said, hey, let's, let's, give, this, let's give this a try. And I think that was another breakthrough moment was the concept becoming reality for each of us. So the twins obviously went through a complicated surgery. Can you tell us a little bit about their recovery at the hospital, and maybe one of you can tell us on how they're doing today and where they are today. So initially after the surgery, we kept them asleep and their brains relaxed because we knew they were going to be irritated and swollen. And then over the period of a few days to weeks, we brought them back, and Dr. Taylor slowly brought the skin together that couldn't be brought together because of the swelling. They recovered for a few weeks in the ICU, actually not that long, less than a month. They left right before Thanksgiving for the holidays to be able to spend the holidays for the first time in their lives at home. And now the ball's more in Dr. The scary part was my part before, and now Dr. Taylor has the, the ball in his court. He's the cleanup uh, batter then? That's right. He has to, to remarkably, they look great, um, even with this missing part of their skull that, that's starting to grow. But Dr. Taylor's a perfectionist, so they're going to they're gonna need more surgeries. 
in the future, I'll let him tell you. It's another kind of critical technical point that some may find interesting, some may not, but two, two other kind of critical things that we did differently than other previous twin separations. One is we did not try to achieve our final closure on the day of separation. And again, I really credit Greg because this, we had separated the twins and I was starting to close the scalps and the dura, et cetera. And Greg looked over and he said, Jesse, that, that's too tight. You're not leaving enough room for the brains to swell. Let's do it looser. And so we, we did a more loose closure, took him to the ICU, let him recover for a few days, took him back to the operating room, began to cinch the scalps closed over a period of a couple of operations. I really think, again, that that neurological recovery that they've shown, I think that was a key step that Greg deserves a lot of credit for. The, the other thing we didn't do, which is a key thing, is try to reconstruct the skull bone that was missing at the time of separation. And a lot of other groups have done that, and they've gone on to have lots of problems like infection, CSF leaks, and then loss of the skull replacement. And so what we're trying to do is let the kids grow up a little bit, recover, get home, and then bring them back at an interval, probably around three or four years of age, to replace that missing skull bone. And so those two critical things, again, that we did a little bit different than everyone else has done it, I think, led to those kids getting home, believe it or not, about two and a half months after separation. Now, one other stat that that deserves uh, mention is the fact that this is the youngest twin separation on record at 10 months of age, that at least that I've ever read about. So this is the youngest twin separation and I, I think, again, some of the critical things we did and then some of the critical things we didn't do are what's leading to their neurological recovery being as good, again, as, as any recovery that I've read about in the literature. And one other thing that, that is really important, we're here because we get the glory of the separation. These kids' outcome, the number one reason is their mom. She's amazing, always there the entire time. The second reason is CHOP. This has to be done at a place where the unusual patient is the normal patient. We don't treat them any different. They're just a patient. And the rehab, the nursing on the floors, the nursing in the unit, the outpatient services, the rehab, they do what they do. They take care of kids. You could not list the number of people who are involved in taking care of these kids. And it's because of CHOP. So, I mean, I know that sounds like we're buttering up to you because you're the boss, but it really is a, a unique place where things like this can happen. Very few places in the world should be doing this or could do this. And have you talked to Abby and Aaron's mom anything about, like, are they crawling? What, what type of things are they doing today? Heather and Riley are the parents, and they're really great communicators. And Heather will text Greg and I on, on important days, separate a year after separation or the birthdays or Christmas. And she's always got the girls dressed up in a uh, really cute uh, outfit. And she'll uh, send us videos of them beginning to walk. They're eating on the road now. Both have the use of all four extremities, both of their arms and both of their legs, which again is something that's somewhat rare in the craniopagus literature. So she gives us uh, frequent updates, and for that, we're incredibly thankful. How rewarding that is for you to hear back from the family. And I hope someday that Abby and Aaron get to listen to this podcast and they, they get to hear about some of the details of, that went behind making them who they are today. And I can't tell you how much I uh, feel grateful for the two of you for, for this uh, amazing breakthrough and for everything that you do at CHOP every day. So thank you both, Dr. Hoyer and Dr. Taylor, for joining me today. 
To learn more about how you can be part of tomorrow's breakthrough at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, please visit chop.edu giving. At CHOP, we make breakthroughs every day. I'm Madeline Bell. Thank you for listening.